you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today, verses 1 through 7, so you can go ahead and mark that. But before we get started, I want to share a story about when I was uh, just starting actually at Village Church, was uh, going with a couple buddies of mine. We decided we wanted to do a, a little mountain weekend getaway. So, uh, And by a couple buddies, it was just two of my friends. And so we went up to Lake Lure, North Carolina. And when we were up there, we just wanted to kind of relax and uh, just go do, uh, wanted to go eat good food, and then we wanted to go hiking. And so we went to a couple places to go hiking. They're very touristy spots. And we went up there like, well, this is no fun. Like, you know, you get there, there's arrows showing you where to go. They've got uh, line dividers you're walking up. There's like uh, moms up there working or up there hiking with you. I'm like, okay, we didn't want to come hike with the moms. You know, we wanted to go off road or do something. And so we got back to our cabin. We were like, all right, guys, we got to do something fun. And we saw that there's this creek by our cabin, and so we said, well, all right, let's just, let's just go to the creek, and we'll head up, and we'll just see where it takes us. And so uh, one of the guys got his phone, so we wanted to make sure we had a GPS with us, and so uh, we got that, we went out, and we started going up this creek. Well, when we got to the top of the mountain, we looked up and we saw the, the most spectacular view. We just kind of were in awe. And so we just stopped there for probably 20 minutes, hung out, and then we started making our way back down the creek. Well, in between that time on top of the mountain and the creek time, we ended up actually going down the wrong creek. And next thing we know is we were absolutely lost. Yeah, I don't know if, if many of you feel that way about life, but for us in that moment, it was not a very good feeling. I don't know if you've ever been actually lost before, but for us, this was a legitimate time where our, our phone actually had died. We had no idea where we were going. You know, as I look at today's passage and as I look at this series that we're talking about, the road to the resurrection, what I want us to be able to focus on today is simply the hope in this, is that the road to the resurrection leads to a resurrecting life. When we follow the directions that God provides us, we no longer wander as those that are lost, but we live as those that are found. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, we hear that term lost, and oftentimes in, in church terminology, we'll refer to people who have not given their life to Christ as those who are lost. And, and we sometimes think of that as a derogatory term, but in reality, it is not a term that is bad, but in fact, it's actually a term that describes that which is lost as one who needs to be found, as one who is of great richness, one that is, has great worth. When we look at Luke chapter 15, that word lost is seen seven times. Seven times it is described as something that a person sought after an object. They saw that object to have so much richness that they dropped everything they could to find that object. You know, today when we look at this passage of Scripture, what I want us to understand is simply this, is that if we come here, we've got to level the playing field and understand what Romans 3.23 says. It says, for all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we look at that passage and we really understand this term lost, what we realize is that at one point in time, you and I were and some today still are lost. 
But in the fact that we are lost, we also need to understand that there is a God who loves us so much that he provided a way so that we don't have to live a life wandering. That we don't have to live the life that, that I experienced that day when we were up on the mountain and, and we started walking down the wrong path and we started to wander and get and, and got lost. And so today what I simply want us to look at is this, is understanding that the hope of the resurrection provides for us the promise of eternal life. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 14. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, what I want us to simply examine is answering this question. What is the hope that Jesus provides? As we look into going into a resurrecting life, what is the hope that God provides for us? Well, simply what we see here in verse 1 is this. It says that Jesus says our hope is in Him. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He says this in reference to the phrase, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, I look at that phrase, let not your hearts be troubled, and, and I honestly, I, I really can understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, maybe not specifically within the context that his disciples were going to, because what is specifically referencing is this, is that the disciples had been following Jesus. They have heard his teachings. They have seen his miracles. But what they've also seen is they have seen Pharisees coming to try to refute what Jesus has done. They've also seen people literally try to ambush Jesus. There is accounts in the scripture where he had to sneak away because there are ones who are trying to come and to kill him. And so they have seen all of these things happen. And they're probably wondering to themselves, what have we gotten into? You know, I'm sure that there are plenty of followers all around the world. I read an article today that their, uh, ISIS has made a threat again on the Egyptian Christians telling them not to get up and to go worship today. As I look at this, there are times that we can easily look at this life and see the trouble of this life and really ask ourselves the question, God, are you truly real? Because is this really worth going through? And let me tell you this much. If the hope that is to come is not true, then no, it is not worth going through. But I believe that the hope that is to come is true. And if it is, then yes, every second that you go through, whether it is suffering or not, is worth it. So when we look at the promise that God gives us, we see here that he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You realize that Jesus already knew that the hearts of the disciples around him were troubled. Not only was Jesus revealing this to them, but he says, hey, here's the answer. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, what we realize is that Jesus extinguishes the sorrow in our life. He extinguishes the trouble in our life. The disciples were probably also really wondering what was going on uh, when they've heard Jesus talk about dying. 
You know, when you sit and you, you hear Jesus talk about what was to happen to him, it would make you again somewhat question the authority and where he was. But what they realized is that every time Jesus said something, he backed it up. Anytime in Scripture when Jesus says something, when God says something, he backs it up. And I wish we had more people like that. You know, working with people, and for those of you who work with people, you know, it's easy to get excited about something. But it's harder to get excited about it once you've already started it. You know, I remember when I was playing basketball as a sophomore in high school, my coach would say, because, you know, everybody, when you play sports, you want to start. That's what everyone wants to do. But I remember my coach said, it doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. Well, I decided I wanted to be a good starter and a good finisher. But, you know, you look at that and you realize that, you know what, that's true. We want to be around people who are going to uphold their word and finish what they start. But let me tell you this much, and if I'll be completely honest with you, I want you to understand this. People will fail you. It is inevitable in life. People are going to fail you. It may be a father, it may be a mother, it may be a coworker, it may be someone who works for you. People are going to fail you. But according to God's word, we rest in the hope that God never fails. So what should we expect in this life? Really, we should not expect too much. But what we can expect is the hope in Christ, which will get us through this life. This life is full of unfulfilled promises, but God is a promise that always fulfills. Jesus knew that. He rested assured in the hope as he spoke to his disciples that his promise is true. And so today we can stand here today understanding that our hope is in Christ. But are you allowing Christ to be your hope? See, God has presented himself, but really have we accepted the presentation? Are we allowing God to get us through this troubled life or are we still trying to do it on our own? So what is the hope that Jesus provides? Well, we see that the hope that Jesus provides is the hope of himself. But the second thing that we see here in this passage is that not only does Jesus provide himself as our hope, but it says here that Jesus provides a place of hope. So what we see here is that there is a place of security that is to come. So not only does God get us through this life, but he gets us through this life knowing that there is a life that is even greater after this one. Look what it says here in verse 2. It says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Again, what we see here is God's word being reliable. Jesus himself, and I almost see this as sarcasm. Like, hey guys, you know, if I, if I told you this, of course I'm going to back it up. You know, of course I'm going to follow through with my word. I'm, I'm, I'm the son of God here. Haven't you been listening to this stuff? And so, you know, you can see that and I can see Jesus kind of communicating it in that way. It's like, of course of course, if I go to prepare a place for you, of course, I'm going to come after you. This place that he prepares for us, this place is heaven. The beauty of heaven is not the fact that it is a place. The beauty of heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. Because without Jesus, heaven is just another place. But what we understand about heaven is that it is the dwelling place of God Almighty. I love how Revelation tells us and gives us a glimpse of heaven. It says in Revelation 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you realize that the things that trouble us in this life will one day be no more? But the only way that they will be no more is if we place our faith and our trust in the hope that is Jesus. So we see here in this passage that heaven is a place Where the trouble is gone. So where is our focus? Our focus is not on this life, but the life to come. But what we need to understand here is this, is we cannot lose sight that there is still purpose for us here in this place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That word prepared in this passage means to make ready. I've been married four years in June, and uh, when I got married, we went on our honeymoon to Jamaica. And when we got down to Jamaica and we were going to uh, our resort, I remember checking in, and they had not gotten our room ready. Now, of course, I'm on my honeymoon. There's things that happen on a honeymoon. Like watch TV, you sick-minded people. And so we, you know, we were on our honeymoon, and, and I was ready to get into our room. And it's like, you are prolonging this time. I'm ready to get in there. Now, in that moment, what I could do is I could get absolutely frustrated with the lady behind the counter. And that's not going to do any good. In fact, it will probably just prolong everything because now she hates me because here comes some American here trying to step on everything once again. And so, you know, here we are and I'm trying to just be nice to her. And so I kind of take a step back and I realize to myself, all right, Matthew, you can do a couple things here. You can get mad. It's not going to go anywhere. You can just sit here and just kind of suck it up. Or you can actually go out and you can make the best of this time. What Emily and I decided that we were going to do is we were just going to walk around and enjoy the time that we had together. We ended up finding a place where we ate dinner that night. And it was actually one of the the best dinners of that whole week as we sat out there on this this, uh, nice restaurant where we were on the actual beach. And so we enjoyed that time together. We enjoyed that time together because simply our room was not ready yet. You realize if you are a follower of Christ and you are still here, your room's not ready yet. So what are you going to do? You know, we can turn on the TV, we can watch the news, and we can sit here all the day long and we can complain about everything that's happening. But you know what? Complaining never solves a problem. Or we can actually get out, we can invest in others, and we can make a difference for God's kingdom here. That's why we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has used us to walk, to spread his good news so that people can get a glimpse of his kingdom through the church, which is us as followers of Christ. And so the question really remains, what are we doing right now as our room is being ready? Where is your investment? Yeah, I took a class this past semester, and we've been studying what happens when this life is over and the new life is to come. And one of the things that's really just convicted me as I've understood this, and keep in mind, my wife is a financial advisor, so we talk about money a good bit. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you money is a bad thing, because uh, money is good. It's not the money that we have, it's how we spend the money that we have. But one thing that I've realized is that I can't take my money to heaven. There is only one thing that we can take to heaven, and that's the person to our left and to our right. So the question is, are you investing in their life? Are you investing in the lives of others? 
Or are you sitting back griping about the things that this life is throwing at you? You know, I look at uh, the privilege that I've had over the last nine years, hard to believe, of being able to invest in students. You know, I'm now at a point where one of my first students is getting married. You know, and it's kind of crazy to think about. But as I've realized that time, or throughout that time, I've realized that investing in their life has been the most rewarding thing that I could be a part of. Being able to walk in and and to invest with with different athletes and, and to see them grasp what God is doing and to go out and to make a difference. That is rewarding. To see people walking around in red shirts here and and going over to the building next to us. If y'all ever get a a chance just to walk over there on a Sunday morning and just see the children over there. We have, I believe, the absolute best children's minister out there. She loves people. She gets that we are to invest in people. And so people are excited to walk alongside with Amy to invest in people. Because people are eternal. And people will move on with you. And so what are you doing to invest in the lives of others? What are you doing at work? Will people honestly be able to know based on your life that you love Jesus? Or are you just going through the motions? You know, we do the Village Open, and not to make a plug with that, but it's an opportunity for you as men and women in the church who run a business to be able to sponsor a team. You are guaranteed four hours on the golf course with them. We shouldn't be out there utilizing that time necessarily for ourselves, but we should be out there utilizing that time as outreach, investing in other people. What a great way to to introduce them to those here in the church. Of my time playing, I've been able to meet so many different people, bring different coaches to come in to play with us. That is why ultimately we do the tournament. Yes, do we get funds for the students? Yes, we see lives changed as a result of that. But the bottom line at the end of the day is it is an opportunity that you can either seize or not take advantage of. And it is all based on the fact that we are to invest in other people. My grandmother is 89 years old. She devoted her whole life really to uh, be with my grandfather. My grandfather was a pastor, and so she really felt that her calling was to walk alongside him in his ministry. About three years ago, my grandfather passed away. He'd been battling Alzheimer's for about 10 years or so, and through that time, she'd been right beside him. It was a very, uh, just very, very saddened, uh, saddening disease. Uh, just being able to be a part of that uh, really, uh, just it really just humbles you. And for anyone who's ever seen that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so when my grandfather passed away, that chapter had ended in her life, and she really didn't understand what it was she was going to do. You know, here an 89-year-old lady, it's so easy to think at that moment that your time is almost up. But what she said to me was this. She said, Matthew, I've been praying that God would show me how he can use me. This past year, we had an election. Now, I'm not going to go into the politics of everything, but what we do know about this election is that at times it felt like two vipers going at each other. You know, we can look at our country and we can see that the morale of our country is definitely declining. There's no doubt there. 
We can see that, the, that truth is no longer being taught, and so what feels good is truth to me, when in reality there's, that's no truth at all. And so rather than my grandmother complaining about what was going on around us, she said that God put it on her heart to talk to those in her neighborhood where she lived to get together once a week, and they prayed. They prayed for our nation. You know, my grandmother prays for this church. You know, that means she prays for you. Her community got on board, and together she understood that her time is not done yet. Her room is not yet ready. How are you investing? So we see that our hope is in Christ. We see that Jesus provides for us a place of hope. But then lastly, we see that God doesn't leave us out to dry. We see that Jesus provides the directions to get there. I love Thomas. We talked about Thomas last week, and when we look at Thomas, uh, we, we tend to talk to him, uh, talk about him as doubting Thomas. But I think Thomas is that guy, you know, in class when, when you've got a question, but nobody wants to ask that question. But then the one person asks that question, and you're grateful that they asked that question. You know, I'm sure if we're going to be honest, everyone's like, yeah, I know that person. It might be you. Thomas was that guy. I don't think Thomas necessarily thought all the time. It was just kind of like, okay, that doesn't make sense. Yo, Jesus, how do we get there, man? And so Jesus then responds with this. It says here in verses 5 and 6, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where, we, where you are going. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That verse is probably the most politically incorrect verse in our society, but that verse is the sole truth for what we stand for in having the understanding how we have a resurrecting life. If you hear nothing else, understand this, that our hope is in Christ and that he is the way to get there. And so what we see here is that our God has overcome the world. And because of the resurrection, we can look at him and not only say that he was a perfect man, but we can say that he is a powerful God. The resurrection proves that God defeated death, and it proves that he is God. And if he is God, then there is a decision that has to be made for us. And we either choose to follow him, or we choose to reject him. John chapter 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God overcame the world when he walked away from his three-day vacation and stepped out of the tomb. Our God is victorious. Our God is the King of kings. Our God is the Lord of lords. Every leader in this earth will one day bow to him, not the other way around. And for us to go ahead and to get that right now will set us up for the right direction and where we need to go. That day when me and my buddies were out hiking, we tried everything we absolutely could. We walked through neighborhoods and we tried to convince each other to actually like humble ourselves a little bit and ask for directions, but none of us would be willing to do that. We continued to try to find our way back to where we were supposed to be. You know, I look at that and I look at our life and I think, you know what, what a great illustration. Because so many of us continue to try to find our way. 
And guess what? It doesn't work. And honestly, how's it really worked out for you? I'll go ahead and tell you, for me, it hasn't worked out too well. That day we finally realized the sun was going down and I said, guys, we, we, we got to quit. It wasn't until we quit that we found the way home. And by quit, what I meant, it wasn't until we humbled ourselves, went to a resort, found the custodian, gave him some money and said, hey, this is the street. Do you know how to get there? He knew how to get us to that street. He dropped us off and we made our way back to our home. It was because we humbled ourselves. Maybe there's some of you here today that it's time for you to go ahead and say, you know what, God, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I give up. I give up. It's not giving up. It's just accepting what's already been presented to us. In fact, some think giving up and surrendering is being a weak thing, but for us it was the best thing we could do because it got us home. As we ran back to our cabin, trying to get back before the sun went down, I'll never forget this moment. We hit the end of the road. We probably ran up a mountain for two or three miles. And by that time, after spending the whole day, we were completely exhausted. And when we saw our cabin, before we could even go inside, we just fell on our face in exhaustion. And we simply just said, thank you, God, for getting us home. This life feels a lot like that. There are days that we just don't want to get up and get out of bed. Trust me, I have been there. There are days when we just want to feel like that. We don't want to do anything else. There are days that we wonder and think to ourselves, God, do you hate me? You know, why is this happening to me? But the reality is simply this, that if we continue to persevere, one day we will find ourselves on our knees before our Savior saying, God, I'm finally home. The question now remains for you. Are you willing to follow that way? Are you ready to take the directions and accept the hope based on the promise that the resurrection provides? I believe today that there are many of you here that you have not given your life to follow Christ. And if that's you, then we want to uh, allow you to uh, embrace and accept that invitation that God has for you. As I told you on your bulletin, there's a connection card. I simply just want you to fill out there that you want more information about uh, following Christ. And you can just check that and you can put your name down. We'll contact you this week. We want to be able to pray with you, walk you through and, and share with you a little bit more and understanding what the gospel is. But there's some of you here today that you have given your life to Christ. You are on that way, but you are feeling the trouble of this life. And today what you need is a renewed sense of understanding that the resurrection provides. If that's you, then I just simply want you just to say, God, I need you. I need you. If you want us to pray with you, you can still fill out that connection card. You can slip it in the offering plate here at the end of the service. But we want you to know that Christ provides the hope and that he provides the way. <laughs>